Friends, I invite you to center your hearts and minds with mine this, or this morning as we listen to God's word coming from both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. Our first scripture reading comes from the book of Psalms 114. Listen now for the word of the Lord. When Israel came out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why is it, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains, that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs? Tremble, O earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. The word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks to, God. be to God. And now our scripture reading from the New Testament comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 to 33. Again, listen now for the word of the Lord. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the reckoning, one who owned him or who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all of his possessions and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow servants, who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. May the meditations of our hearts together upon your word this morning be acceptable 
in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As Don Henley says, I think it's about forgiveness. A certain married couple had a series, a regular habit of sharply disagreeing with one another. They did not see eye to eye on most things. The husband, for his part, would get red in the face, he'd get loud, he'd get emotional, yet somehow the wife always stayed calm, cool, and collected when they were arguing. One day her husband asked her, kind of in a calmer moment, he said, when I get mad at you, you never fight back. How do you control your anger? The wife said, oh, I work it off by cleaning the toilet. The husband said, how does that help? She goes, oh, I use your toothbrush. (laughs) A man was bitten by a dog. Later it was discovered, sadly, that that dog had rabies. This was back when there was no cure for rabies. The doctor brought the man the bad news. Everything possible will be done to make you comfortable, but we can't offer any false hope. My best advice for you is to put all of your affairs in order and prepare. Dying man sank back in shock, but finally he rallied enough and got asked for a pen and paper and started scribbling furiously. An hour later, the doctor came back into the room and said, well, it's good to see you've taken my advice, accepted the inevitable, found some peace with this, started getting your affairs in order. I take it you're working on your will. Oh, this is no will, said the man. This is the list of people I plan on biting before I die. (laughs) Forgiveness is a nice thought, but revenge is much more sweet and attractive. On Homecoming Sunday, right at the start of our program year, another program year in this amazing, kind congregation, God's word and scripture to us today brings up the awkward topic of forgiveness, and awkward is an understatement. Uncomfortable is another way of putting it. It seems to me here on Homecoming Sunday, we should be starting uh, by talking about some profound inspirational theological concept, some ecclesiological uh, uh, thought or, or, or approach that really gets us into the new year, a vision like the city on the hill or a light in the shadows. Instead, we get forgiveness today. Like a school kid who's about to rush out to the door, excited about the first day of school, and his mother says, Gregory, you forgot to make your bed. Oh, Mom, do I have to talk about forgiveness? Think about it even? The question in this text that Caroline read from Matthew is, How many times should I forgive someone who has hurt me? That is Simon Peter's question. Look, Lord, forgiving someone who has hurt me one time is hard enough, so if I do it seven times, seven times one, that should be more than enough, right? And Peter, by the way, thought he was being generous. After all, the rabbis of his day taught that you should forgive three times, but not a fourth. But here Peter is taking the rabbi's uh, advice and, and direction, 
multiplying it by two and adding one for good measure, and three times two is six, plus one is seven, if I'm not mistaken. That, Peter thought, should be plenty forgiveness to go around. And by the way, in Jewish thought, the number seven symbolizes completeness. And Peter is expecting Jesus to say, nice work, Pete. You go to the head of the class where you think you belong, obviously, over and over again. Another A+. Good on you, Pete. We all think, too. I mean, forgiveness is hard. Let's face it. And that's an understatement. Forgiving someone who hurts you, robs you, insults you, lies to you, betrays you, steals from you, or worse yet, someone who hurts, lies, steals, or betrays someone you love is almost impossible. Am I right? Picture that person in your mind right now. I know there's somebody. I'll wait. Got that picture of that person? Can you imagine forgiving that person once, let alone seven times? And seven is not enough for Jesus or for Jesus-y people. I said this would be awkward, right? (laughs) Remember what Peter's question is. Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive that person? So for starters, if we're reading closely, and that's what we do as Presbyterians, we're the nerds in the Christian world, we're talking about the church here. We're prescribing this a little bit. Of course, we live in the world with other people, other religions. We love a lot of those people, and they love us too. We work with them, we live with them, we go to school with them. But this word today is to the church, because the church is where, for us, it all starts. That's why Caroline is here, by the way. She has a full-time job. But the church is where it all starts. The church is where people in the Reformed Presbyterian tradition begin the life journey which takes them out into the world to work, to exercise their vocation, to use their gifts. It starts with being found by God while you're seeking God, or even when you're not. And then from there, we go live our lives. Worship is the hub of the wheel, and everything in the congregation and beyond extends out from that. So the first takeaway from our reading this morning is that we start in worship as part of a church. Homecoming Sunday celebrates that gift. We start by being grateful, by living gratefully, It's why we give so much. It's why we give more year after year. It's significant what we give here. It's painful sometimes, but we do it because we are grateful. And one of the things we give, besides money, is our forgiveness. So the first takeaway from our text this morning is hanging around God means forgiving. Still awkward, right? Still uncomfortable. 
Not a lot of smiles out there. It sounds good theoretically, though. Church forgiveness. Virtual. It's virtue. Forgiveness. All that good churchy stuff. Do you remember Dana Carvey's church lady? Isn't that special? Forgiveness. It's always good in theory. But it's easy to forget when we're talking about it theoretically that forgiveness is almost impossible. Forgiveness is hard. Once you've been hurt. Will Williman, who was the chaplain at Duke University and is a bishop in the Methodist Church, writes, the human animal is not supposed to be good at forgiveness. Forgiveness is not some innate, natural human emotion. Vengeance, retribution, resentment, even violence, these are natural human qualities. It is natural for the human animal to defend itself and its own, to snarl and crouch in a defensive position when attacked, to howl when wronged, to bite back when bitten. Forgiving is not natural and it is not a universal human virtue. So forgiveness is something we have to work at because we are not naturally good at it. So you and I apparently are not just to do it once or even seven times. We must forgive, according to this word from God today on Homecoming Sunday, 70 times 7 times. The second essential takeaway, for that, therefore, for us this morning is that forgiveness is almost impossible. It takes work, and we have to keep doing it every day of our lives. Forgiveness, in other words, is our vocation, our purpose, our job as people of God. And you might be asking yourself, really? What could possibly motivate me to make forgiveness a key piece of my way of being? I will, I'm willing to consider it when forced to consider it, but to make it kind of a key part of my program, who I am, my identity... I don't think so, because forgiveness is unpleasant, it hurts, and worst of all, no one seems to care when I do it, especially the person I'm forgiving. Well, the story Jesus tells today gives us two reasons why forgiveness is part of our vocation and our purpose. In our quote this morning at the beginning of the bulletin, you have something from Anne Lamott. Forgiveness, she says, has become a pursuit more important to me than almost anything because, as I said in an old book, it's not my strong suit. I always joked that I wasn't one of those Christians who was heavily into forgiveness. I was the other kind of Christian. But, Lamott writes, it's so awful to be a person who doesn't forgive. In my experience, the willingness to change down deep always comes from the pain of not changing. I really believe that the earth is forgiveness school. I really believe that's why God brought us here and then left us without an owner's manual. I think we're here to learn forgiveness. Dr. M. Scott Peck, a psychiatrist in his very famous bestseller book, The Road Less Traveled, writes, that unless we are able at least to move toward the work of forgiving the person who has hurt us, 
Even the person who does not and never will deserve our forgiveness, there will not be mental health. There will not be abundant life. Forgiveness is not easy, and yet not forgiving can take a greater, greater toll on us than forgiving ever could. And Kenneth Hart, a psychology professor at the University of Windsor in Ontario, Canada, studied 66 recovering alcoholics, and these individuals, all of whom were addicts and were willing to say they were addicts, all had one thing in common. They were each and all angry with someone. Teaching forgiveness, Hart found, is one way to break the cycle that causes recovering alcoholics to relapse. If they release their anger through forgiveness, they no longer have a reason to use alcohol to numb the pain and to escape. One of those former addicts said to him, forgiveness is more for yourself than for the person you're forgiving. That's what I discovered. For me to forgive the person sets me free. I wonder if there's anyone watching today or in this room who needs to be set free. I'm one. It all starts with forgiveness. No forgiveness, no freedom. No forgiveness, no abundant life. And forgiveness is not easy. This is the other motivation. Forgiveness is not easy. Just ask God. And this, by the way, is one of the teachings that distinguishes Christianity from all other world religions. We have so much in common with the other main religions of the world and many others as well. But this is one of those that separates Christianity. You and I forgive not because the other person deserves it, not because they will ever acknowledge how wonderful, wonderful we are, because they usually don't, and not because we are living a good life in order to earn uh, the uh, excuse or, 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 for, or some kind of forgiveness from God and avoid judgment, because when we try to do that, when we try to live that kind of virtuous life, it doesn't work. It never works. We can pretend it's working, but we know deep down it just doesn't work that way. We cannot earn forgiveness. One theologian put it this way, we who follow Christ are always being commanded to do things we cannot do. We are commanded to love those who are not lovable, who have proved themselves to be not lovable. We're called to serve without counting the cost, without expecting anything in return. But the hardest commandment is the commandment to forgive. Yet we are bidden to do it, not because it is humanly possible, but because as we try to do what God commands us to do, as we try to do what we cannot do, the ability to do it is given to us by the God of grace. We forgive, and we can only forgive because God has already forgiven us, chosen to love us not for what we've done or left undone, but because we are chosen by God to be loved, despite how much we do or do not deserve it. Forgiving is what God is about. Reconciliation is who God is. That's who Jesus Christ is. It says in the, one of the great uh, creeds of the Presbyterian Church, Jesus Christ was reconciling God was reconciling the world through Jesus Christ from the 
beginning. And forgiveness is the heartbeat of what anybody who wants to know God has got to be about. And it never gets easy, by the way. A friend suggested that I imagine having a brand new, let's say, what's a fancy car that I could never afford? A lot of cars, let's see. Um, I'm gonna go with a Lamborghini sitting in my driveway and it's painted this beautiful bright red. I open the door, I get inside, I look around and I marvel at the luxury of the interior. I turn on this incredible Apple CarPlay sound system which I need my kids to work and the speakers are pouring, pouring forth as I turn on this amazing music and it's so incredible to be sitting there. I turn on and I start the engine. The feeling of power, even before I put it into gear, is just overwhelming. And as I begin to move out of the driveway, it makes me swoon. I put the car in, and by the way, I'm a, I love driving, so I'm, this, I'm into this right now. Um, I put the car into drive, I press the accelerator, the car begins to take off, and then this incredibly expensive Lamborghini, let's say $112,000 and change. I had the extras. Sputters, rolls a bit, and finally stops on Elm Street in front of my house, blocking my neighbor's driveway. I look around on the console to try to figure out what the Lamborghini's computer is telling me about the problem is, and after punching some buttons, it reads, you don't have any gas in your tank, egghead. How embarrassing, how frustrating. I'm sitting in the driver's seat of this incredible vehicle that most people will never have the opportunity to sit in or ride in, let alone own or drive, and I can't go anywhere. I want to go, but I can't. And not only that, I'm blocking somebody else's way. People walk by and look through the window. Now they're not admiring me. They're wondering what kind of idiot is doing this. Here I am. Stuck, looking good, but stuck in this fine Lamborghini, but going nowhere. And my friend said, the fuel that drives the church that Jesus established, in which we are celebrating this morning, the fuel that drives it is forgiveness. And without forgiveness, there is no gospel. There is no mission, there's no worship, there's no homecoming rally day kickoff Sunday, there's no Sunday school, there are no good values, there's no good parenting, there's no great music program. There's no nothing without the fuel of who we are, a people forgiven first, and then called and equipped, not by our own virtue, but by God's virtue and love, equipped to forgive as a way of life. There is no relationship with God, which means no relationship with our best, healthiest selves without forgiveness. One would expect that the church is a place where forgiveness would flow like a mighty stream. But not enough, not nearly enough. But we can start today and make that stream a little wider and a little deeper. Amen.